Uh, if you would, open your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 9 in just a moment. But before I do that, let me make a statement that hopefully will take away a potential distraction. Here's the statement. Dr. Young does not have COVID. Let me repeat that. Dr. Young does not have COVID. Rather, he and Susie are simply enjoying a few vacation days, and I'm glad they are, and I hope they have a wonderful time. Now, to our text, 1 Peter chapter 2, follow along as I read verse 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In action movies, often in a lot of movies, but particularly action movies, there's a scene where the heroes, the group of heroes, have come to a point where they're discouraged, they might even be feeling slightly defeated, Um, they're, they're wondering, will we be able to accomplish our purpose? And, and a leader within that group will stand up and give some form of a rallying speech, reminding them who they are and what their purpose is. An example of this would be in the uh, Return of the King, the third Lord of the Rings uh, movie, the very final scene, uh, there's a big battle scene. Uh, Aragorn is the leader of the human army. There's a hobbit and an elf and a dwarf, maybe two hobbits, so, but it's mostly a human army. There's several thousand of them and they're there before this giant black gate and this giant gate opens and behind this gate is tens upon tens of thousands of this evil army. And Aragorn turns to his army. He's the leader that stands up and gives a rallying speech. And he says, I see the fear in your eyes. He says something like this. But that fear will not define us today. We'll stand on this good earth and we'll fight today. And of course, what happens is all his uh, army rallies and they fight and they win. You can go watch the movie. But that's, that's what... That's, that's an example of this idea of this rallying speech in a movie. Well, I bring that up because in essence, what Peter is doing in this letter to believers is a rallying speech. If you'll turn back to chapter one, Peter is writing to believers located in some various regions. Look what he says in verse one. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to believers in various regions, but he knows something about these believers because jump down to verse six. Look at what he says in verse six of chapter one. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter understands that these various uh, groups of of believers in these different regions are are facing some difficulties and facing some problems, some trials. And so Peter, the leader, has stood up so that he can give a rallying speech 
<clears throat> now what he starts with in his rallying speech is the reality of the gospel. Look at, look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter begins his rallying speech with a, with a call to remember the gospel, to remember the good news, to remember that even though all of humanity has acted and thought in such a manner as to, a, uh, to, to offend God, all of humanity has sinned against this creator. This creator God has invaded humanity. He has become a man, Jesus Christ, and he's lived among us, and he lived perfectly, never once sinning. And then he willingly allowed himself to be brutally murdered on a cross, and he shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness. Jesus Christ is the perfect lamb. That's the gospel. That's the good news that, that Peter begins his whole rallying speech with. But then to our text today, I really believe in my opinion, chapter two, verse nine is really the climax. It's the pinnacle of his rallying speech. It's the point where he reminds these believers of their purpose. See, for any of us, and certainly for them, difficulties, life in a fallen world, can distract us from our purpose. We can begin to uh, wonder and ask ourselves why, or even potentially move to a point where we're complaining. See, purpose is important. All of us act upon or according to purpose. Purpose defines what we're about. And so understanding and, and, and being reminded of, of who we are and what our purpose is is paramount to living out life. So Peter, in his rallying speech, in essence, if he walked away with one idea from his entire rallying speech, he reminds us that Christ himself determines our purpose. Now here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna, I wanna pull out of the text this morning three realities that, that are completely uh, surrounding this concept of Christ determines our purpose. So follow along with me and let's, let's dig into this. Now, the first reality I want to call to your attention is that our purpose, it's grounded in what God has accomplished for us in Christ. Look at our text this morning. Look at the first half of it. Peter says in verse 9, chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter is summarizing the reality of the gospel 
that Peter started his speech with in chapter one, verses three, four, five. He's summarizing it using four Old Testament statements. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter understands that these phrases were first used and given for scripture in the Old Testament. But he understands that with the fuller revelation of Jesus Christ, they have a broader meaning than what they would have first meant just in the Old Testament. Peter begins to use them understanding that they apply to the believers, Jews or Gentiles, all believers who are trusting in the work of Christ to atone for their sins. Now, here's some examples of where Peter would have gotten these these phrases. This is in Isaiah chapter 43. It's verses 20 and 21. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. See some of the language there? Peter's, Peter's understanding that when these were first written by Isaiah, they had a meaning. But now with a fuller revelation of Christ, he understands that this concept of chosen people, oh, that means all those Jew or Gentile, regardless of your heritage, whoever is trusting in Christ for atonement, those are the chosen people. Exodus 19, verses two through six, listen to these. There, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There you see those phrases. So each one of these phrases is being used by Peter to communicate that those of any race who believe in Jesus have been saved from God's wrath to become a group of people who have a purpose from God on earth. Now you can, you can understand this. Think of the movie Schindler's List. You know, Schindler was this industrialist who was trying to make his fortune but uh, ended up saving. Uh, the number is, I think, about 1,200 Jews from the Nazi death camps. He, um, he lost his fortune, but he saved him. Well, there's a phrase that has come from that, that history. It's called Schindler Juden, Schindler's Jews. There were 1,200 people that began to see themselves as Schindler Juden. That was a name that began to recognize a reality about them. 
And today, there's about 8,500 descendants of those original 1,200 Schindler Juden. Now, can you imagine the, the stories and the heritage and the, the messaging that comes behind that, that label that would have come from these original 1,200? Remember, son, you're a Schindler Juden. You were saved by Schindler. Well, that's who we are. We are people who have been saved by the work of Christ. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his own possession. That's the label that begins to define us and create our purpose. See, our purpose is grounded in the work that God did for us through Christ. Now, what does that mean for us? <clears throat> I think the most important question after pulling that out of the text that I can ask any of us is, who are you trusting for atonement for your sins? All of us trust someone and there's really two someones. We either trust ourselves to atone for our sins, or, like Christ said, we recognize we are poor in spirit. We lack what is necessary to participate in the spiritual relationship. And we recognize that I cannot atone for myself, therefore, I trust God and his provision and his work in Christ that atones for all my sins. Oftentimes, if someone is trusting in themselves, it may look something like this. I've got a list and the list is long, but I haven't done the worst things on that list. So when I compare myself to somebody else, well, I'm not as bad as them, so I must be okay. That's, that's a form of trusting yourself for atonement. It will not atone for sin in God's court. Another way it might look is somebody may kind of think about a balance statement. Well, yeah, I've done these things, but I've done all these good things. And, and in my accounting scheme, I come out okay. I'm in, I'm, I'm in the black. I'm okay. That also, trusting in yourself in that way for atonement will not make it in God's court. It is only those who are trusting in God's work through Christ for atonement that will have any merit. It's not their own, it's Christ's to have full and complete forgiveness. That's what Peter is communicating to these believers and us with this language of chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's reminding them that who you are and your very purpose is grounded in what God has accomplished through Christ for us. So that's our first reality I wanted to draw out. Secondly, we are prepared to accomplish our purpose by Christ. Now, we gotta 
jump back a little bit in chapter two, but look at verses four and five with me. Look at what's said here. As you come to him, that is Christ, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter once again is using Old Testament language. This, this language of Jesus is a living stone and we are, like Jesus, living stones being built up. Listen to Isaiah chapter 28. This is verse uh, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. The cornerstone is the first stone laid in a building and the entire rest of the structure relies upon this cornerstone. Jesus is that cornerstone. Peter Peter now looks back in Isaiah and goes, ah, Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the living stone. And all of us, all of those trusting in God's provision for atonement through Christ, all of us are like Jesus. We are living stones. Notice what it says there, the action word of the statement. We are being built up. Now, Greek is, is such a precise language. There's numerous things from this action word that we can know is being communicated. One of them is this action is being done to us. We're not doing the action. I am not building myself up. Rather, I am being built up. The action is done to me. Also, this action is not a once and done. It's not a completed action. It's an action that's a continual ongoing process. We are, in essence, continually being built up. And then thirdly, out of the Greek, it's not just potential to be built up. It's real, it's actual, it's happening. Peter is saying to these believers, you are really continually being built up, not by yourself, but by Christ. Here's, what, here's, here's the doctrinal idea that, that Peter is relaying to them in this rallying speech with this phrase. Christ sacrificed himself on the cross, paid for our sins, but then he ascended back to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And as a result, he sent us the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the power behind our being built up, really being built up, continually being built up. The Holy Spirit is in the process of sanctifying us, of making us more and more in the image of Christ. How does he do this? Well, he uses what theologians have deemed means of grace. I love that phrase, actually. What are these means of grace? Well, one of them would be God's word. The study of God's word, 
sitting under the preaching of God's word. The Holy Spirit takes this and utilizes it as he builds us up, as he sanctifies us to be more and more in the image of Christ. Prayer would be a means of grace. As I bow before and begin to communicate with God and refer back to him, his virtues and his beauties, and as I begin to thank him for all that he's done, as I, as I bring my needs to him, as I confess my sins to him, the Holy Spirit is using this means of grace of prayer to build us up. What you're doing now is a means of grace. The gathered, worshiping people offering the audience of one worship That is a way that the Holy Spirit builds us up. The sacraments, communion, uh, baptism, these these are means of grace whereby the Holy Spirit builds us up. The community of the saints. Do you ever realize that giving a phone call to one of your fellow believers and checking on them, um, writing a note, interacting, um, inviting, being in a class, studying the word together. All of these are a means of grace whereby we are being built up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then service. I love being here on a Sunday. If there's one thing that I admire about our congregation is that there are so many of you that recognize and understand that you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit and you are to employ that gifting for the building up of the body. Like, do you ever, do you ever just thank God for all the musicians in our congregation that, that use their gifting to serve us? Did you know right now there's a security team here and there's somebody outside circling the parking lot Now that may not seem like that's gonna really build them up spiritually, but I promise you the Holy Spirit takes service even in that form and he uses it to build us up. Think of all the people um, rocking babies or teaching our children or the people involved in the athletic ministry or somebody uh, joining Mike Heath with the mobile uh, uh, dental clinic, MIT, and and all, all of those ways. God uses those to build us up He builds us up so that we are prepared to accomplish our purpose. Well, here's my question for you. It's January 3rd. You're entering a new year. How will you cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he builds you up? What means of grace will you focus upon? Maybe it's, maybe it's a scenario where you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that I'm at corporate worship every Sunday or I'm joining online every Sunday. Maybe, it's, maybe you're being prompted right now by the Holy Spirit of, I need to be more engaged in some organized study of God's word. I wanna, I wanna challenge you. I wanna pastorally plead with you. Take a moment this afternoon And in a quiet place, in a moment of prayer, ask the Holy Spirit, what should I be engaged in in 2021 
as you are in the process of building me up so that I can accomplish my purpose. It'll look different for everyone. It's not a pro- programmatic thing. It's not one, two, three. Everybody do one, two, three. For one person, it looks this way. For another one, it looks that way. But what's all the same is the Holy Spirit is the power behind this process where we're being built up, and he's always employing the means of grace. So, our purpose is grounded in what God has done through Christ. We are being prepared to accomplish our purpose by Christ. And then lastly, our purpose is to proclaim him. Go back to verse nine. Look at our text here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter's reminding these believers, you are in Christ. Your sins have been atoned by the shed blood of Christ. And then we come to the word that. It's a conjunction. And we really could translate the Greek here in order that or so that. It's a conjunction indicating purpose. Christ has done this. He has made you a holy nation so that in order that you may proclaim. Now, this is an interesting word. It's only, the Greek is only found here in, in 1 Peter. It oftentimes comes out of um, Greek tragedies and it speaks to the person that would publish abroad something hidden from the audience. So it's, it's the concept of, of revealing a mystery or posting in our modern day language, we all post on social media, it's posting something for everybody to see. It's proclaiming, it's publishing abroad. Your purpose is to publish abroad, go back to the text, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're to proclaim the excellencies. What is that? Well, the excellencies are these virtues, these characteristics, these realities of who God is and what he's done. It's, it's the concept, excellencies could be thought of as the, uh, any of God's manifestation of divine power. Creation is one of his excellencies. But the greatest excellency is what he's accomplished through Christ. You, you are to proclaim his excellencies. Everything in our lives are to declare, to claim, to publish abroad that in Christ Jesus, the wrath that I am due because of my sin has been taken care of. God's wrath is fully satisfied. That's what we declare. That's what we proclaim. That's what we publish abroad. You all understand what this is all about. It's simply just word of mouth marketing. 
When I find a store or find a brand or find a, um, a, a service that is excellent, what do we do? We talk about it. We proclaim it. We publish it abroad. We tell people, I got my roof done by the... My electrician is a, I like to shop here. This brand does that. That's, that's all it is. And it's very natural to do that because we're so moved by the excellencies. Well, what in the world do we have that is more excellent than what God has accomplished for us through Christ? Stop and ponder that for a minute. I deserve nothing but the wrath of God. I deserve punishment and destruction because of my offense against this thrice holy God. And yet what has he done? What would he be right to do? To execute the wrath that is due me. But instead, what does he do? He invades humanity. He becomes a man. He lives among us. He lives perfectly and then he dies in our place. So that as we're told in the New Testament, I can boldly approach his throne. Is there anything more glorious or more excellent or is there anything that manifests his divine power more than Christ? What does it look like for us to publish this abroad? Many, many forms, myriad ways that we can publish this abroad. Let me give a couple examples. One would actually be the verbal recognition of who Christ is and what he's done and that you're trusting that. And when the opportunity arises, our purpose is to proclaim the excellencies. We ought to be people that articulate what we're trusting in for atonement to a lost and dying world. But it also, we can publish abroad this excellencies through, through our regular everyday life. Let me give an example and let me specifically talk man to man. Let me talk to the men in the room, specifically the husbands and the fathers. What tone do you set in your home? Are you publishing abroad his excellencies by the tone you set in your home? Do you set a tone where your home is grace-filled, where it's merciful, where it's forgiving? That's publishing abroad his excellencies. May we each proclaim his excellencies all year long every opportunity we, we, we get. May we be so wrapped up in the reality of what Christ has done for us that it is so natural for us to give verbal utterance and that it's, he's so manifesting himself in our lives as he's building us up that we live like him, that we live with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness. In closing, as I stand here, allow me to give a rallying speech. Yes, our culture is changing. Yes, 
as Christians, we're increasingly marginalized. And yes, from our finite, limited perspective, it looks bleak. But you, you are a chosen race. You, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You, you are a people for his own possession. In order that you may publish abroad the manifestations of divine power, even Jesus Christ, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, Father, we thank you for Christ. We recognize that we deserve nothing but your wrath. And yet, because of your great mercy, because of your great love, you have lavished upon us full and complete forgiveness. We have all our sins atoned for by the blood of Christ. And so we say thank you. Father, we're also grateful that you are continually building us up. Would you build us up so that we are to a greater degree able to proclaim your excellencies to a lost and dying world. Father, use us to glorify you. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.